Welcome to the podcast series on population health management. When we hear the word or the phrase return on investment, there is a predilection to jump towards cash returns on cash investment. Actually, what we invest is more than cash. We invest better knowledge, we invest better relationships, and we return not just cashable savings, but actually the value that is returned is more joined up care for residents. By doing some of the upstream work, for example, around blood pressure alone, if we hit the 77%, 80% target that we're talking about in terms of case find and actively manage people with uncontrolled hypertension at the moment, that should mean across Lancashire and South Cumbria over the next three years, we should save 142 people from having heart attacks and 212 people from having strokes. Health is made in homes and communities and it's repaired in the NHS. I'm Dr. Dan Alton, a GP and National Clinical Advisor for Population Health Management for NHS England. During this bite-sized PHM podcast series, we're talking to integrated care systems about how they've developed their PHM capabilities. Today, it's my pleasure to be joined by Dr. Andy Knox and Dr. Sakthi Karananithi, Director of Public Health for Lancashire City Council, who are going to discuss making the case for investing in PHM. I'm looking forward to hearing about their journey so far, their collaboration work with the local university and top tips for systems. They were on wave one of the NHS England Population Health Management Development Programme almost four years ago, and more recently on the Place Development Programme. So starting with you, Sakthi, can you briefly describe what Lancashire and South Cumbria did as part of the PHM Development Programme and Place Development Programme? Thank you and good morning. Uh, pleased to be here. What we did in Lancashire South Cumbria when we began the development programme for population health management is we were able to test three things. First, how do we really connect records of people in a safe manner to understand the complexity and vulnerability and health needs across our cohorts of residents? And that was really cutting edge at that time because we had to go through learning about more about information governance and how to keep records linked safe and how actually we make meaning from those records and how do we help clinicians and uh, other leaders in the system understand the health needs of our communities. The second thing we did was turning that into programs that are locally relevant for different neighbourhoods in our system. And that's where the wider collaboration happened with district councils, voluntary sector, wider public sector colleagues that eventually led to responding to needs in a much more personalised way and achieving the outcomes we, our residents, aspired to achieve in a much more uh, local, embedded, proactive manner. So that enabled us to learn how we use technology and data to derive better intelligence and understanding and to implement initiatives that are much more joined up in a, in a proactive way in very specific neighbourhoods. That's what we learned. And alongside it, we also applied that learning to what it means to organise care at a place level, 
and indeed at a system level, which is ultimately about allocating resources according to need that eventually lead to improved outcomes and reduced inequalities in our system. That was the development program. We had a brilliant insight and opportunity to test some of those opportunities. And then we went into COVID and as we are coming out of COVID, we're trying to embed that learning, scale it up and sustain it as part of core business in the integrated care system. As an example of that, in one of the towns near me in Barrow and Finesse, uh, we realised that we were doing particularly poorly, the data showed us, in, in actually making sure that people with severe and enduring mental health were having the health checks, the physical health checks that they need. And the reason those are so important is because people with SMI are dying 20, sometimes 30 years earlier than the rest of the population from preventable um, cardiovascular disease, for example. And what we did was by, by using the data, we then sat and listened to people with SMI in Barrow and Finesse, and we heard from them just how ineffective and unkind often our invites are and how impersonable they are. We then with them redesigned how we should do that work. And now we've got one of the best uptakes in England in Barrow in terms of health checks for people with SMI. So you can see how working with data, sharing that data with communities, being willing to respond and learn and co-create something different and then work together in that new way can have really fantastic results. Thank you uh, to you both. Um, Andy, how has that work been taken forward into a new structure uh, for the organisation and what does that look like? We managed to build a really lovely team in collaboration with our, with our wonderful directors of public health. So Lancashire and South Cumbria is divided into four places. Uh, South Cumbria, um, Blackpool, Blackburn with Darwin, and then huge county of Lancashire uh, in the middle. Um, and so we have developed a population health team that work across the ICB. Um, and as far as possible, we have then gifted our teams or um, deployed them into places to work with our place-based leaders, um, and then ensured that right into every neighbourhood um, that we've put uh, what we call health inequality clinical leads at, and team members also working alongside them. So we've put an investment of around £21 million into population health um, and then in conjunction with our directors of public health have tried to shape a programme that really brings the best of local government and the NHS together. Recognising that there is absolutely all the brilliant stuff that our directors of public health lead on all of the time um, and with humility we try and come alongside them to, to bring the strength of the NHS where it's helpful. But we also know we've got to get our own house in order and we really love what Bola Owalabi has set out this year already as Director of Health Inequalities nationally, that we need to make sure that we are um, sorting out the health inequalities within the NHS when it comes to equity of access, equity of experience and equity of outcomes. So we've built a team who are able to help the NHS focus on that work um, and do that in partnership with our brilliant community voluntary faith sector and um, with all the different parts of the NHS and particularly with our good friends in local government. So quite a structural change, quite a significant paradigm shift compared to what you were doing previously. Um, are you able, Andy, to tell me a bit about the return on investment work that you've done with the university? Yeah, for sure. So um, one of the uh, challenges we were given by our finance directors, quite rightly, was how are you going to show 
that this £21 million is worth the investment that we're making, because some of this is new for the NHS. It's brave stepping into some of this space. We've been a very reactive um, health service for a long time and trying to be proactive in terms of creating health and preventing ill health um, is, is new territory in some ways, not for our public health teams, but for, for thinking about how we shift resource within the NHS. And so one of the things they said to us was, um, we're going to give you four R's to think about, research, 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 and return on investment. So they challenged us at the start of our work to make sure that we're wrapping research and, and understanding of return on investment around every programme that we do, so that we can keep coming back to the executive team and saying, look, here's what we've put in, here's what we're getting out. And that, that doesn't necessarily just have to be a financial return on investment. Obviously, we want to be um, not, not just bogged down in that. The differences that we want to make to health inequalities, to life expectancy, to healthy life expectancy. So the returns may not always be financial, but there need to be some financial returns on investment and there need to be some proxy measures that we make along the way, because some of those will be longer term. So what we know is from, from the research that for every one pound that we put in, this is stuff that was done by Public Health England as was, um, we get about three pounds to three pounds 60 back. Um, by doing some of the upstream work, for example, around blood pressure alone, if we hit the 77%, 80% target that we're talking about in terms of case find and actively manage people with uncontrolled hypertension at the moment, that should mean across Lancashire and South Cumbria over the next three years, we should save 142 people from having heart attacks and 212 people from having strokes. And the cost saving to the system will be something around four million pounds in that time, just if we do that piece of work right. So we can't necessarily say for 21 million pounds, you will get this much money back. But what we can say is, look, we know if we do this kind of work based on predictive health modeling, we should be able to save these kind of events and that kind of money saving into the system will be X. And that's kind of what we're trying to do. And we're doing that in partnership with um, the University of Lancaster and uh, UCLAN um, and trying to set up a new uh, population health research institute uh, in conjunction with our public health colleagues, which we hope will be some really exciting work around health inequalities over the next uh, decades to come. Quite, quite trailblazing, uh, this collaboration with the university. Um, Sakthi, what are your thoughts on the collaboration? Before I go into collaboration, I just want to highlight um, something about return on investment. When we hear the word or the phrase return on investment, there is a predilection to jump towards cash returns on cash investment. Actually, what we invest is more than cash. We invest better knowledge, we invest better relationships, and we return not just cashable savings, albeit that cashable savings may never see the, the daylight because the demographics is changing, the demand's rising, but actually the value that is returned is more joined up care for residents. They experience timely care, more proactive care. Actually also it makes it more easier for staff to uh, deal with all the pressures in a much more systematic and uh, technology enabled manner. And that's where the importance of collaboration really is. And especially when it comes to population health management, which is really a set of defined activities that ultimately lead to understanding our residents, our communities, and activating and organizing care that matches their needs and aspirations to live a healthy and independent life. This cannot just be done by any single profession, part of the NHS, 
or the NHS on its own or NHS and with local government alone. This is where the um, ambition is to collaborate beyond the usual care deliverers, if you will. Because health is made, it, made in homes and communities and it's repaired in the NHS. And unless we fully understand that, we will never realise the full benefits of population health management. And indeed, we will miss the advances in technology, uh, in data sciences, genomics, if we if we don't really maximise the technology um, that is available to us, but it needs to come with intelligence as well as improvement capability that is really engaging clinicians in the main, as well as finance leaders. And this kind of population health management thinking needs to be in the consciousness of the new integrated care systems, without which this will remain a project and we'll never realise the full benefits. And that's why the collaboration beyond the usual sectors is really important in making it a reality for our residents. Absolutely. And, and I'm sure trying to align all of these resources in this new approach must have had its challenges. Andy, <laughs> are you able to describe some of the benefits and challenges you faced when trying to align the resources uh, to a, towards a PHM approach? One of the things that I think has been a huge benefit, actually. So one of the things we've been committed to in Langston, South Cumbria, is making sure that we have a, a, a clinical leader, often a GP, but sometimes a, a clinical pharmacist or a nurse practitioner in every single one of our primary care networks. And this year we've taken them through a Population Health Leadership Academy in conjunction with the King's Fund. The feedback from all of those clinicians in terms of the joy that it is bringing back to their work and the ability to work very differently and collaboratively with their own communities um, has been a real benefit of the work that we've been able to begin so far. So now in every single one of our neighbourhoods across Lancashire and South Cumbria, we've got a clinical champion um, and a clinical leader with paid time and um, and now knowledge and expertise who can really begin to make a difference in, in, in the area. Um, however, you know, we are also facing into the reality that, you know, for, for people like Sakthi over the last, you know, decade and a bit, we've had like a 50% cut to the council budget. So part of the issues we're facing is we are always on the back foot and you know we we are so aware of the pressures in the NHS aren't we at the moment in terms of how much is the tidal flow that feels like it's coming through the door and it feels overwhelming part of the advantage of beginning to work this way and to give people breathing space to step outside the doors of their surgery and begin to work differently with communities is that we begin to stem the tide further upstream we begin to do some other more proactive work but the challenges are huge when we think about issues for example like obesity it's so much more complex than just saying to people oh okay you just need to take more responsibility and eat more healthily when people can't necessarily afford to feed their kids let alone themselves let alone heat their homes and 
the issue of obesity, as highlighted by people like Professor Sandro Galea at Boston State University, is that it's such an absolutely complex issue. It's not just as simple as A plus B will equal C. You've got to think about everyone's got to play a part. So it's about town planning. It's about which fast food restaurants we have. It's about sugar tax. It's about what exercise is available for people in communities. It's about access to green spaces. It's about um, whether or not uh, there's PE being done at school or being done in a way that girls can engage with with or that boys want to participate in. When we're thinking about the big ticket prevention items that we need, some of it is about working radically differently with communities and giving clinicians time and space and energy and expertise to do that. But some of it is about whole system change at every level of leadership and us pulling our collaborative resources and efforts and enthusiasms together to say, okay, how are we gonna tackle these kind of big issues together? I couldn't agree more, Andy. Um, although I would say that often in meetings, uh, over winter particularly, uh, although no one would disagree with that, people's minds are still understandably focused on short-term pressures. Mm. So, Sakthi, can PHM help us to tackle some of the short-term pressures that systems are facing? And if so, how could it work? Yeah, absolutely. This is where um, there is a real need for everybody thinking about population health management to be very, very clear about how this population health management approach fits within the overall um, ambition to improve population health, which Andy quite eloquently put it. Um, in answer to your question, can this provide short term focus? It's absolutely essential in my view. And if we don't do this, we miss opportunities every day, not just during winter, which is when it's even more handy to have this approach. So I just wanted to highlight that there is a really immediate uh, business edge in organisations and systems delivering care during crisis times and when the demand's escalating, especially when it comes to the interface between um, health, within the health sector, between primary care, secondary care, between the ambulances and A&Es and between healthcare, hospital care and social care, and between primary care and wider community care, because fundamentally at the heart of it is connected understanding of individuals, which leads to connected exploration of opportunities to keep them well. If you think about winter and what really keeps people well during winter, it's having access to nutritious food, mm. having access to warm homes, fuel, not worried about finances, having friends, having flu vaccine, preventing falls. All of these things can be really understood properly if there is a connected data set at the end of it with a human being talking to these people in a more proactive way. So as much as we can think about population health as a long term game, which it is, population health management is a very specific focused set of activities that uses data that leads to identifying people and organizing and activating more proactive, preventative and personalized care that's much more joined up. So if it isn't population health thinking, population health management thinking, I can't think about any other way of thinking that is so current and it's actually being adopted by leading systems across the world from the West to the East. So we have something really in front of us. We haven't fully realized the benefits. We may think we are uh, already doing it. And I've challenged that by asking, have we really got 
all the technology that enables a joined up understanding of individuals at a record level? And are we really analyzing and turning that analysis into actions and actionable insights for crisis as well as more longer term care? And the answer to that, in my humble opinion, is no. We are just at the beginning, not at the end. Well, hopefully our listeners will be inspired um, by what you're both saying to start loading up their templates and filling in business cases for PHM to be adopted more in their own systems. Andy, what advice would you have for those listeners who are currently filling out the benefits section of a business case? Well, I think we have to look at the crisis that we face this winter to recognise that the benefit is actually about getting upstream and getting things done sooner, right? So then, then we're not responding to such overwhelming situations like we have done um, over the last few months and that we do every winter. Winter planning always starts way too late, for example. And if we get proactive and upstream, like we're trying to this year by proactively reaching out to our communities to actively case find, and um, particularly people within our priority wards who we know are high users of the ED, high users um, of um, acute beds through the winter time, and actually working out why it is that that's been happening and how we might wrap better care about them um, through the spring, summer and autumn. That means that they then don't hit those crisis points in the winter. Um, that's that's a good place to start. Actually, if you wrap it around crisis response and winter planning and all that kind of stuff, that's a really good part of the business case. I think there is a moral imperative here, actually, which we have written very clearly um, around what our values are. Uh, you know, we are very clear as a system that we want to improve the health of our population through through the tackling of health inequalities and inequity. There are people in uh, towns in Lancashire who are dying 17 years earlier than people who are living three or four miles down the road. That is unacceptable. And there is a very strong moral and ethical case to do this work, which um, should drive us. Uh, and I think also, the re as I mentioned at the start, there's actually something that brings real joy in this work. If we want to retain workforce, if we want to um, recruit people into our systems, we actually need to work in ways that are attractive. And it's not attractive to feel like you're always on the back foot and feeling exhausted and overwhelmed. It is attractive to get on the front foot, to be much more engaged with communities and to be feeling like you're making a real difference in people's and communities' lives and changing the very things that are affecting the health and well-being of our communities in a way that is life-giving and, 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 yeah, enjoyable. That's fantastic. A great, great summary. So final question uh, from me to you both, um, Sakthi and then Andy. What are your next steps in Lancashire and South Cumbria? We are on a journey here. Uh, I wouldn't claim that we've realised the full benefits of even what already exists. We are at the verge of fully formalising the arrangements in our system and how population health and population health management approaches are embedded. We are also blessed to have some fantastic people in our system that advances the technological aspects of this. We're really building that wider collaborative working with practitioners, with voluntary sector, and our real holy grail is, as I said earlier, as much as we talk about it, our aim is to have our finance colleagues and chief execs and really get into the consciousness of integrated care system that we think about population health 
and population health management using data and evidence. That is our holy grail and we do have a framework of measuring our success in terms of outcomes as well as the way that we deliver care. Um, so we are, as much as we are talking to you about our learning, we equally would love to continue to learn from others uh, that are on this journey. And I would say a real focus for us is going to be embedding our health inequality clinical leads into their neighbourhoods and really helping them uh, work with the data around their communities and actually get on and deliver real projects over the next 12 months with real results that will really encourage them. We're going to be embedding our teams into each of our place-based partnerships and making sure that our teams together are focused on the needs of the population and how we work with them. We're going to continue rolling out the academy programme so we take more leaders, clinical leaders, managerial leaders across across community voluntary faith sector, across um, our clinical teams, across um, local government teams, so that we raise the expertise and embed more knowledge and passion in this area. Our, our work is absolutely about social movement and working with our communities. So we're going to be continue to engage with and participate with our communities in changing the conversation and the expectation around population health across Lancashire and South Cumbria and making sure that together as a people, we go on this journey of, of improving our health and tackling health inequalities together. And I'm certainly um, fascinated to hear how it goes. And I'm sure at some stage we'll be hearing more from Lancashire and South Cumbria. So thank you both so much for that insight into your work and for anyone wanting more information about population health management support for systems, as always, please visit the PHM Academy on Future NHS. Thank you everyone for listening.